Welcome back to the show. Today, I am so grateful that I get to share this interview with you. This one blew me away. It is with Dominic Tyke. He is a coach, a fighter pilot instructor, and an author. Very, very incredible man. We had such a great conversation. Also known as Slice is his name. And he, Dominic, brings his fighter pilot background and applies them to help guide pilots, athletes, business owners, and students with afterburner techniques that American fighter pilots use to ensure mission completion. He is an Amazon bestselling author, business owner, entrepreneur, civilian, and military pilot instructor, and he is here to share so much with you today, especially if you are in business, if you are a busy individual, if you are a person who is struggling with making a decision, learning from a pilot who has to make split-second decisions, this was an incredible episode. So some of the things that we talked about in this episode that you are going to be able to relate so well to, he has an incredible way of sharing analogies. And his analogy is this piece on the trash can that we continuously as humans, we stuff our lives into this trash can. We compartmentalize everything from emotions and feelings and stories, challenges. We don't take the time to unpack them. And eventually the trash can gets overfilled. Then we get a dumpster, then we get a bigger dumpster and we keep going, but we don't really take the time to unpack and look at what we're learning. And as you do that, eventually there comes a point where the dumpsters are full and your body starts to shut down. And that's exactly what he shared with us in this episode. The other piece that he really dove into that hit home for me as a person who helps people to share and publish their stories, which is exactly what he does too is how we all have to come to a space of understanding what our definition of success is. And that underneath that definition of success is what is the meaning and significance of the success? What are you going to do with it? How can you pay it forward? How can you think outside of yourself? And we dove into this so much because he has a book series called Single Seat Mindset to understand really from the position of a fighter pilot who sits in that seat by themselves navigating a fighter jet, how your mindset is so incredibly important in your life and how you can learn to make faster decisions as a human to think faster, move faster, and to create change. This is literally one of my absolute favorite episodes I've ever recorded, and I know you're going to love it. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Dominic. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you. Yeah, same, Marsha. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so you are the very first fighter pilot I have ever interviewed. And so I'm just like, I'm excited to dive into you and your story. Um, can you tell me, did you always want to be a fighter pilot? You know, I think that um, little kids, when they see fighter jets, there is a little bit of uh, mystique behind it. And um, always, I don't know if it was always there. Um, you know, when I was seven, I built a little fighter jet model, an F4 uh, plastic model on my kitchen table with my dad. I still have it. Actually, I've carried it with me through my whole career. It's gone all over the world with me. And um, at seven years old, I thought I was going to fly F4s. And little did I know that was a pretty old jet at the time. So <laughs> well, not an F4. <laughs> yeah, not an F4. I'm in the F16. So I'm an instructor pilot in the F16 right now. I teach at the uh, the schoolhouse. So I get to 
live that dream and and share it with with others right and that's so fulfilling you know seeing these um we we retrain people so we retrain fighter pilots that come back um and then we also the majority of our training is for um it's a, it's a basic course but it's not basic it's mm-hmm. it's learn how to fly and employ the f-16 and in, in combat and and you know how to defend the united states um yeah not mild then not mild at all um can i ask for the number of people who do want to become a fighter pilot what's the process like what's involved and how many people actually get to that end stage so I don't know the, the numbers um, generally change. Um, there are three commissioning sources. So there's ROTC where you can basically go to college and then take some military type studies. There's the service academies. So think um, Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Army has I'm drawing a blank on the other services, but but big academies that you go to and it's a military academy. And then there's officer training school which is where you go through college. And then when you're done, then you go through officer training. And that's the route I took. Um, I was so driven. I started flying when I was 16. And by the time I was 18, I was a flight instructor. And I had built enough time and experience to go to the airlines by the time that I had applied to the Air Force. And I went through the interview process and basically got selected to go to officer training school. And the reason I took that route is I was not willing to go to the military without having a pilot slot guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And officer training school is the only commissioning source you can do that. So I wanted to fly airplanes um, my whole life. And so I, I had spent a lot of my own money. I was in a lot of debt after college, but I knew I was going to fly airplanes. Yeah. And so when the Air Force gave me basically a code on my paperwork said you can go to officer training school if you graduate if you graduate and pass all of these things then you can go to pilot training so that's the route that i took um i don't know if i'd have done it any any different because i got a lot of um fun experiences um outside of the military prior to joining the military (laughs) good answer no it's it's interesting because like my nephew is he's going into commercial pilot right now And so the amount I know just from conversations I've had, the amount of money and what it costs to go through and the amount of training, it's mind blowing what it is. It's actually like, it's very, not everybody can do it, unfortunately, because it is, it's very expensive, but he's very, it's so funny because he's such a big guy and he's just like, I've always wanted to be a pilot. I'm like, really? He loves it. Absolutely loves it. So it's just been an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, you know, you 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 bring up a, a story that I had at you know seven, like I had said, I I had gotten the like the itch to like be a pilot, mm-hmm. and by twelve, my uncle he was a um, mechanic for Alaska Airlines, and he took me to the ramp um, where they were doing engine runs. the The mechanics were up front in the cockpit doing engine runs. They had the jet turned on, and you probably couldn't do this nowadays, but he took me up into the airplane, up onto the flight deck. And I was standing there at 12 years old, just looking at all of the screens and levers and buttons. And they, you know, they were running the jet engines. You could smell the jet fuel. And, you know, those are very visceral feelings, right? And then, you know, fast forward probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 years later, I'm sitting in um, the T-38, which is the jet lead-in trainer for the fighter jets. And I'm sitting in there and the canopy's up we started up for the first time and that jet fuel just kind of comes back and i'm sure it's so caustic for your lungs and body but man it just smelled so good <laughs> it's a visceral response right your subconscious yeah. immediately goes through this visceral response and you remember like what yeah. that was like at 12 years old yeah wow wow so fascinating so fascinating so you do a whole lot of things now like it's not just um like tell us a little bit about how your journey went to lead you to the work that you get to do today okay so yep i i've always loved aviation um which you've you've kind of picked through my story on that and then you know joining joining the military um gave me some pretty um, incredible opportunities, some pretty painful ones um, that we can we can talk about here in a little bit. Um, specifically, one about six years ago, um, where I had a um, pretty big like mental breakdown mm-hmm. um, that was due to a lot of a lot of my experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but going through the military, you know, just being overseas, getting to uh, integrate and work with. Um, so many different countries and people. It was just a, a fascinating experience. You know, I, I think one of my favorites was 
my view of the biblical landscape of the Middle East. So I've seen where like essentially Abram turned Father Abraham, right? The father of multitudes where he originated in Ur. And I have flown all of the landscape all the way up into where they settled in the Holy Land. Um, I've been in the Jordan River physically, like, uh, you know, <laughs> dipping rosaries and and being down there where like Jesus got baptized. I've seen, you know, Mount Nebo where Moses supposedly died and looked into the promised land. So the the opportunities that I, there's no way I would have had those opportunities um, to see that um, clearly, right? Like flying right. over hostile territory, but then also seeing the, the Middle East and the Tigris and the Euphrates and just, you know, now, like just even reading the Bible now, it's just so um, enlightening to have that geographical viewpoint from, you know, 20,000 feet and remembering all of it. Yeah, it just makes me think of like the dichotomy of being able to, you know, see such sacred area and yet flying over such hostile area at the same yeah. time. Wow. Yeah. And and the thing is too is that if you if you read the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, it's never stopped. I mean, that's that's just our basic human nature is to um to grow and then to um want control and to break it all down and then to grow back up again and to break it all down and and it's just this you know, um, I think it was Sir John Glubb. He wrote a paper called The uh, Fate of Empires. And he talked about his his thesis essentially was that large civilizations last about 250 years. And granted, people will go, well, what about China? And it's like, well, if you look at like the the change, the big change in a civilization happens at about 250 years. And this is not an offshoot or a political thing, but the U.S. is about 250 years old. I was my, just going to ask. We're yeah, like not just a shy. Podcast, but I did have to ask. Yeah, the U.S. is just about 250 years old, and we're seeing some pretty big mm-hmm. changes. Whether that's technology, politics, all of, religion, all of lack of religion, lack of spirituality, like just you name it. This is not. These are not new concepts that have happened. You know to. To mankind, we just kind of make our same mistakes over and over and over. <laughs> well, it, it that is not the truth. And as you're watching this, like I'm thinking in my head of, especially as you make that reference and all of the things that are volatile, yep. it can be really hard to make decisions <clears throat> in our own life when there's, it feels like if I, especially now we have access to social media, I open up social media. Like if I'm not selective about what I am taking in, there's literally chaos everywhere. Like it's yep. everywhere if I'm not mindful. And sometimes it can be a case of, you know, I have family I love dearly. And, but they'll be like, did you see this in the news? I'm like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> I just not, nope. I'm super selective. And even then it can be like a magnet that can pull you into a lot of things. So how do you, and I don't want to side swipe your story. I want to ask you this question though. Think of the decisions and how fast you had to make decisions in your job. How do you stay like in a clear, concise mindset of what you want to do and what's important to you when, you know, yes, we have the outside world. Yes, we have all the other chaos, but I'm also thinking of you and your job. How do you do that? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, so the the military, um, even the civilian civilian flight schools do a very good job with their syllabus and their I call it the blocking and tackling skills, right? Which are it's the fundamental base that you you set up, and those those are just leveraged into new skill sets and new um, processes, right? Because your your brain's plastic, and you can you can train it. And I think that's one of the big things to know is that after I got the military and all these experiences, and then I finally we finally got settled here in Phoenix, I'm actually a this is kind of a unique job that I interviewed and got and got picked up for which I love is I'm a full time fighter pilot, but I'm a reservist, so I don't have to move. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, I was able to start my um, my real estate, like apartment investing company. Um, I was able to start another business that was strictly about money for me. And this is, this is when I was going through, um, some mind things. And I actually turned that business off, even though it was profitable because it was all about money and it, it burned me out. So I, I got rid of that one. And then kind of fast forwarding to your question, like where we are now, um, when COVID hit, right, there was, this feeling of being alone and isolated, right? We all felt it, even if you could go outside. So granted, 
Arizona, where we live too, we could go outside and go on the trails and bike and all that kind of stuff. But if you were in, if you were in California or if you were in other countries, yeah, you're, you're getting thrown in jail, right? So yeah. that feeling of being alone and isolated, um, I get the majority of my ideas when I'm on my mountain bike, just mm -hmm. by myself. Um, that is where my brain goes crazy. And I'll come home and my wife will just be smiling at me. She knows I'm about to hit her with like all of these new things because my brain just goes crazy when I'm on the bike. And so <laughs> I'm on this, I'm on, I am literally just no technique this day. I'm just pedal mashing. I'm just angry, right? I'm just, yeah. I've got all this like internal, like, ah, and so I'm, I'm just going and, and we're having this class come through of F-16 students and they're just struggling mightily. They're they're not doing well at all. They have a very tough syllabus. Um, the, the masking and the lockdowns and all of the different things that they're dealing with on top of this incredibly difficult um, course of training. And so I was like, you know, we're single seat fighter pilots, as in one seat, there's one seat in the jet, right? Mm -hmm. um, some people call it you're the mayor of cockpit city. So like you, you make the decisions up there. Uh, because you're the only one. So you kind of do what you want, but within a certain constraint, right? And so that's why I started Single Seat Mindset, the company essentially. And where it started was, it, it started as a hobby. And it was the worst hobby I ever started because um, it was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if I can figure out how to monetize this, we were giving money to my um, family's um, children's cancer nonprofit that helps families go through um, they basically, it's like Ronald McDonald style homes mm -hmm. um, in Washington state and families get to stay there where they're, while their kids are going through cancer treatments. So we were giving money to that foundation. I was like, if I can monetize single seat mindset, we'll just, in order to not make this about money, I'm going to give all the money to the, to that charity. So once I made it a business, it became, it gave me a lot more purpose because I already had started businesses and built websites and you know, had, had done the framework was there. I'd actually already written a book. Um, and that's where like a lot of our ideas came from was this single seat fighter pilot, single seat mindset, you know, single seat wisdom is a book series we can talk about if you want, but the single seat, you know, learned mindset. And I think that's important is that people can learn a lot of these skills and leverage them in their, in their lives. Um, and I kind of hinted at it earlier. Um, I think while these students were feeling alone and isolated and trapped, our culture, the fighter pilot culture is very um, interactive. They're very social and humans, big surprise, are very social, right? So that when you talk about even the way that they tricked our brains by saying um, what, it, what it was social distancing, which are two just separate words, yep. they're confusing, yep. right? Because yep. it's like I either I'm going to be distant from you or I want to be social. And humans are social. So let's just, let's call it distancing or let's get social. And I wanted to get social. So what I started doing was once a week sending these, this struggling class, a, it, it took on a bunch of different names. What it's called now is the competent wingman. And it was two minute messages once a week. And it was basically just me saying, Hey, it, it was either just a, a quick lesson, a life lesson that, that used a an aviation fighter pilot spin but that you could apply to life because as fighter pilots we're very good at talking about aviation plan execute debrief we can do all of that in aviation but in regards to just living life that was lacking and so a lot of the messages took on um kind of a the spin initially because i was riding them by myself um was it was how i how bad i suck and how 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 many mistakes I had made. Mm -hmm. And this was the mistake that I made as a new guy. And if you want to avoid being that new guy that making that mistake, then do this. And then here's how to avoid it. And then, hey, if you are that guy, here's how to dig yourself back out. And those were the messages that connected the, the most with these young, young kids, because I'd have them walk up to me and be like, you know, sometimes we see you instructor pilots, and you guys don't make any mistakes. And I'm like, well, our mistakes are so small compared to yours because you're brand new and you're learning. They're so small. And a lot of times we see them happening and we're fixing them as they're happening. So it almost looks like we don't make a mistake, mm -hmm. but we make mistakes too. And then they, they said it just really humanized that connection of going, Hey, 
you can suck really bad and still be a great fighter pilot. You can, because it's uh, zero people, Marsha, have gotten in the F-16, zero, and started that thing up and just nailed it. It doesn't happen. It's a learned process, right? So getting back to what you were saying before is the fighter pilots, you know, they're trained to make split decisions at 800 plus miles an hour, right? And then we take those decision-making skills and you can leverage them into high performance professions, whether or not you want to be, you know, a doctor, a CPA, accountant, a world-class podcast host like you, uh, write books, you know what I'm saying? So like those, those decision-making skills can be learned because even fighter pilots have to learn them. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think the important piece to know as humans, we can make one, you you make one um, decision at a time. Right. And if you make in, in aviation specifically not helicopters because you can stop you can hover but in a jet where you're going slow in the f-16 we slow down when we come back to land and we we touch down at about 200 miles an hour okay so so that's slow 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 flying around at 300 knots which is i'm bad at public math it's about roughly 350 miles an hour i think it's a little bit more than that but that's kind of slow that's what we slow down to Mm -hmm. well you don't have time to just pull over and and, or hit pause or you know just say time out right so it's very important to just know hey what's the next we call them near rocks and far rocks so hey what's the next thing that i need to be doing and then kind of thinking out ahead of you and going okay what are the next things that i need to be doing and then you just put them in the right order and a lot of times the students that struggle, they just, that we call it misprioritization. They just put something in the wrong order. Okay. And so when you're building a business, when you're running a play on the football field, um, those dis- just kind of viewing life, viewing those lessons and, and, ha- and training your brain that way, you can do it the same. And you'll do it if you're a business owner. You start a business. And what I've noticed with business owners, they start another one because you just leverage those lessons learned right into the next one. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm like sitting here going, I don't even know what note to start with first, because you've given me so many things (laughs) that I absolutely love. And first off, I just want to edify in a sense that it's beautiful that you're able to put that like the competent wingman. I love this piece that you did this with the students coming through because a, as we spoke earlier, right. We connect to each other when we recognize that, wait, you're, you're human too. Like you actually struggle yeah. with these things too. You've given them that permission to know that. And I have to guess, I'm going to make a, a, a leap here that you're giving them the support you wish you would have had. A hundred percent. It was, and this is not a spirit, the air force. This is partly my own fault, my personality, because I'm so driven. I'm so I'm such a big action taker that a lot of times people don't. Uh, I'm not a dreamer. I'm not a wonderer. I'm I'm the opposite. I'm an action taker. I go, hey, that looks really cool. Let's get after it. And then I'm just I am just sprinting. And thank God for my wife. I call it like the the finger in the collar technique is that she knows me enough now to Cause when I start having these ideas, a lot of times I will research them. And by the, when I finally hit the go button on something, I am going to be gone miles out and ahead of anybody else. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm very methodical about how I approach something. I think about it. I study it. I'm, I read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can teach yourself anything nowadays, just turn on YouTube and research the right thing. Right. So, yes. yeah. So my wife is that finger in the collar and I, and I tell her, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be um, talking about stuff, stream of consciousness for a long time. I'll be studying it. She knows that about me, but I'm like, when, when I'm about ready to sprint, I need you to put your finger in my collar. And just, if I'm going to run down the wrong path, just whisper and be like, it's that way. Because my wife is a wanderer. She has that Mm -hmm. 50,000 foot view. And if I say, Hey, here's the process that I break it down. And she just looks at me and then she goes, that sounds good. That's about as much as I'm going to get out of it. But I, but if she if she pauses, there's something that I missed way up here mm-hmm. that is not in the finer details of what I'm about to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the learned experience that I was not good at as a as a young type A fighter pilot male, because I was already a fighter pilot by the time I got married. Mm-hmm. Um, and so learning even those relationship skills, right? Just learning that it's a learned behavior. 
And I think anybody that's struggling with anything, the, the big lesson learned from anything we talk about today is that you can train yourself and you can, if you have that grit and you want to change that pain, use that pain, leverage that pain, that fear, whatever it happens to be and, and train yourself and, and just know that other people have probably gone through what you've gone through or very similar. You don't have to compare your trauma to theirs. You can have your own crappy day, but just realize you can, you can learn from that stuff and, and grow from it. And a lot of times, at least in my life, some of the most painful, scary circumstances that I've had, that has been three months later. Those are my biggest learning growth spurts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's crazy. Yeah, you, you've actually hit so many incredible points, but and that's the real premise of this show is the sense that the experiences that we have come through, they teach us the lessons and we might resent the hell out of them at the time. But when we can look back, it's like, yeah, yeah. that's what's brought us here. And so that's the big thing about not let, let's stop hiding those parts of ourselves because they actually make us who we are. And the more we shame them and cut them off and hide them, we're literally shaming ourselves and we're yeah. blocking ourselves. So we can change all of that at any time. So I am assuming that there was some challenging points to he's laughing to your story that pivoted you into even more of the work that you do today. Yes. So one of the first ones, and it took me a long time. Um, and we can talk about what happened about six, five, six years ago. But one of the first ones that comes to mind is when I finally came to terms with it, and so we had, I had started single seat mindset, these little messages, and then I digitized the message and I made them automatic. So people could go to singleseatmindset.com, they could access the competent wingman program, and just these little messages would hit their inbox once a week and you can read them in two minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's kind of started, but that I wouldn't have written in the tonality and I wouldn't have written those stories had I not learned um, the hard way, right? Cause I was not a, I was not the person that I needed to be for a long time. I was, I was pretty abrasive. Um, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I didn't, int- I had, so the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. But like, I call it the scorched earth theory where I'm so driven that a lot of time, not, not necessarily, you know, I'm still learning, but not necessarily anymore as I get older. And now I have kids and I realize that people are the things that matter so much, but I was so goal oriented that I would be, I would be willing to kill myself to get to the goal. So I'd either die or, or I would make the goal. That's how I'm wired. And the problem is, is that many people are not. And so I would just be like, dude, you're not putting in a hundred percent. And so you would just burn people getting to the goal, or I would say something wrong. And I think the lesson learned from that is, you know, as a young fighter pilot, I became what's called the wedge, right? So I was the new guy in the fighter squadron. Um, I had kind of torqued off a couple of the older instructor pilots. I had done stuff that I was not being the best version of myself that I needed to be. And when I finally realized that, um, I went back and I told those guys, even though it was painful, I'm like, Hey, you know, I want to be here. Um, I realized that I did these things. Um, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm sorry if you can forgive me, that would be great, but I'm, I'm moving on and I'm going to try to make this better. And I did right. And I just dug myself out of that pit that I made of myself. But as a young fighter pilot, it was embarrassing, but I actually wrote a chapter in single seat wisdom volume one, and it's my chapter and it's about what's called G lock. So, um, fighter pilots, when you, it's G induced loss of consciousness. So when you're under a lot of stress or under a lot of G's, so when the sitting here in our chair, we are experiencing about one acceleration due to gravity, which is why we're not floating. So on the moon, there's less than one G, which is why the astronauts float. Okay. When you're, when you're in a roller coaster turn and you feel yourself squished into the seat, that that's what G forces is. It's just, it pushes the blood out of your head. It kind of like pushes you into your seat. Well, at two G's, that's two G's or two, um, I'm not wording it correctly, but the acceleration due to gravity is twice your body weight. So if you're a 200 pound male, you're, you're technically your body weighs 400 pounds. Now that doesn't mean that you're supporting 200 pounds because if you're reclined or laid on your back, 
you know, there's less body mass, right? Mm -hmm. So in the jet, the F-16 can pull nine Gs and we do it regularly. So if you want to think of a, <laughs> again, public math here, not a 200 pound male at nine Gs, that body mass weighs 1800 pounds. So it's an incredible amount of force. It pushes the blood out of your, your, your nugget and your eyes and your, your brain needs blood to and oxygen, right? So you have a residual amount of oxygen. Well, when I was a young fighter pilot and I was learning how to do essentially um, dog fighting, so very high G's, um, very physically taxing. Um, I was also, I had not gone through my big mindset shifts, right? So I was very much type A. Um, I was cycling about 5,000 miles a year. Um, I was in incredible shape. I was strong like bull and, <laughs> <laughs> and I was also a little bit cocky and a little bit arrogant and G G forces had never affected me. I mean, I played baseball up through junior college. I was always very physically active hiking, you know, downhill skiing, you name it. And so it, it never crossed my mind that it would be a problem. Well, I did about a 55 mile bike ride one morning, which was not a long distance when you bike a lot. And I went into work and I prepped for my flight and I went out and flew um, that afternoon and it was hot. And I was, I didn't know it at the time, but I was dehydrated. And that's one of the biggest things that um, led to essentially me taking a fighter, an unwelcomed fighter pilot nap inside an F-16 cockpit with me being the only person inside it. Oh my so God. I, it was the last dog fighting set where I basically um, pulled a bunch of G's and the residual oxygen in my brain wasn't enough. And I, I, I passed out and I woke up pointing at the ground and I'm going very fast. The details are in my story in, in the book. Um, but essentially I lived through it and it was a very painful um, experience because it, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that that happened to me because people might think that I am not a man, right? And it has nothing to do with that because there are a, there are a lot, not not the majority, but there are a lot. The more people that read my story, they're like, dude, that happened to me too, right? So it happens. Um, a lot of people have brushes with G-Lock where they almost pass out. So using that, I went to, I could have just been like, oh, I'm a failure, right? Mm -hmm. Me as a person versus going, hey, that I have failed at that event. I think Tony Robbins actually said that failure is an event, not a person. Yes. So I was like, hey, I failed at that event. Um, and I went to my flight commander. I'll never forget it. He was standing there. I said, I'm not giving up. Don't give up on me. Mm. And I went and had to go through a centrifuge training again. You can look that up on YouTube, but centrifuge is where they spin you in a capsule um, really fast and they simulate these, these G forces and it's incredibly painful. And I did it for three days. So that was a painful event, but I guess the lesson I took from it was immediately going to the people going, dude, I'm, I am still running. I'm still going to, I'm going to pick myself up. I know I failed at that event. Don't give up on me. I'll make this better and move forward. Right. And so that I kind of took that into my career because I had so many times where I would make mistakes and it was my fault. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it took me a couple years because I'm a slow learner, but even in my marriage, right. Just going, holy crap. Like most of most everything is my fault in our marriage. So just being able to go, Hey, I did that. If you thought of it a this way or whatever, that's my fault. I did that. Please forgive me. Can we move on? Oh, by the way, right? And it's always painful. <laughs> it's, it's always painful. Fault. Owning that is always painful. But actually, that's literally the only way a relationship's ever going to work is when two people, like when you can own your own mistakes or your own choices or your own whatever you want to call them. And when you can do that, that is when you can both come together to, you know, accept that. I know there's like, I have parts of myself. I relate to a lot of your personality traits. And that is, I've had to unlearn a lot of ways of doing life and business because I was put the head down, get to work and yeah. like, just push it out there. And when I see other people, I'm like, what's the problem? Like get to work yeah. and do it, but not, we're not all <laughs> wired the same way. And I'm not saying yeah. my way is right. It was just yeah. what I was used to doing. So I've had to unlearn a lot of things in my life and business. Mm, yeah. So this was this experience about five years ago. 
No, no, that was many years ago. So I was just, my, my lesson from that one was terrifying. So my wife was pregnant with my first child at the time. So I almost died. Right. And at this point, so we can kind of fast forward to the one that was about five or six years ago. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, yeah, you weren't taking out the trash. So I'm going to use this analogy. I have this trash can, which is life. And I have a nice lid and I have big locks on it. So anytime I had trash in my life, I just throw it in the trash can and lock it up. All right. Cause I'm a man and um, I'm just going to deal with it and I can handle this, right? Like all of these platitudes that we, we say, right. I'm just like rough and gruff, like no. Yeah. And then in the, in the military, they teach you how to what's called compartmentalize, mm-hmm. which there's good parts of it. However, you need to open that compartment back up. You need to open the trash can lid and let some take the trash out. Mm-hmm. All right. So basically, um, everybody has their life, right? Everybody experiences trauma differently. Everybody processes situations differently, right? Like a, um, you know, for instance, my first deployment that I was on, we got shelled 56 times living on that base. And some people get shell shocked differently. Some, some people experience it three months after some people, it just kind of, it'll just sneak up and grab you. Somebody will slam a door, right? Like just weird things that just kind of like make you tick or that gave you that trauma, right? Just like somebody that gets in a car accident, you can have PTSD and if you never unpackage, never take out the trash, that's going to blow up one day. So one day I tossed a hand grenade in my trash can, tried to lock it and it blew up. Mm-hmm. So that's my analogy is that I had lived my life. I was very, you know, based on your parents, your past experiences, what have you, the, those kind of shape and define you. I'd gone through college. I had been, I was a very high achiever. I was a peak performer, but I had not really defined success for myself. All right. So I had things that I wanted to hit, but every time I hit them, it was this hamster wheel where I was just running on this hamster wheel and I was achieving tons of big things. And people from the outside, they look like, oh, you know, my fighter pilot call sign is slice. So like, oh, slice is is successful. Right. So in other people's eyes, the outside appearance is success. Right. The problem is, is that I found that, you know, throughout life, if even if you define something as success for yourself, it's very inward if, if it's only for you, mm-hmm. right? So if it was like, I was successful, that story, because I know you like stories, that story stops. And when your story stops, you run into these midlife things that happen and you crash. And that's what happened to me is my story. I had achieved the big three to five things that I wanted to do in my military professional career very early on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was an instructor pilot. I had deployed. I'd been a flight commander a bunch of times. Like I was just having a heyday. I was um, very, very proficient in the jet. There are a lot of fighter pilots that are just astronomically better than me. But where I was, I was very good, Mm -hmm. very, very like way above competent, not the best. Right. But I was good. And then I crashed. Now, granted, there were um, family matters outside of my personal family, family matters that cropped up. There was a lot of things that hit me all at once, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, working 14 to 16 hour days for 12 years uh, straight is not healthy. Deploying, um, you know, getting shelled, killing people. These are not normal human experiences. So it all kind of built up. And I remember I had my flight gear on. And it was a defining moment in my life. And I, because I was just, I've got this, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to put that in the compartment that I always do. And I'm stepping out the door to fly. And I'll never forget it. The, the guy sitting at the desk, the pilot that steps, steps the cruise out, right. And gives us the weather brief and all that stuff. He goes, Hey, is everybody ready to fly? And he looks at all of us. And I looked at him and I was like, no. And I just was like, dude, something, something's not right. And that was a, very important. Had you done that before? Had you ever Never. had the moment? Okay. So you knew like Never. this was very clear, like, no, it's not okay. Yep. And I, and I don't know if it was, uh, you know, cause, cause a lot of these things, that trash can that had filled up, it had become like, I had just bought a dumpster and then I bought a 40 yard dumpster and I just started buying bigger dumpsters to throw all my trash in. And it became very heavy, right? You of can course. feel it in your, is it your physiology? Is that what it's called? Right? Yep. Your, your subconscious mind is essentially your body. Like it's, and that's all of the emotions that we hold on to. And the analogy, I have never heard anyone say it the way you're saying it. And I absolutely love it. We just 
pack it away and we pack mm-hmm. it away and we pack it away, but we don't feel it. We don't deal with it. We don't move through it. We don't like unpack the lessons. We don't look at it. And then all of a sudden that dumpster is just so heavy that one day our body says no more. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's like death from a thousand paper cuts, right? Because you don't have to kill people and get shelled and go get in car accidents and go through these big life events. You can have a million little ones, Yeah. whether that's just slights from coworkers that you internalize and you carry with you. Um, And so that, you know, as I basically said, no, I'm not all right. Some of the things that I learned after you know, going through counseling and therapy and then, you know, marriage counseling and just trying to, yeah. you know, your brain does some crazy things to you and makes you think crazy things. And you get stuck in this weird 90 second loop that is a bad story. And you need to just put a different VHS in, or in our case, just switch to a different channel yeah. because that 90 second loop is terrible and it's destroying my life. And so, I learned that painfully and it takes a lot of time. Luckily, my wife um, stood with me that whole time and she didn't judge and she just like let it let the process kind of Mm -hmm. iron its way out as I crawled out of this dark pit. But I also had that. I think the thing that kept her going was that I knew that something was wrong. I was willing to admit that I was going to counseling regularly and I was like, it's very painful, but the next day after counseling, it always just felt, it just took the edge off just a little bit more, yeah. you know, and we're talking, you know, a couple of years here, like of, mm-hmm. you know, rebuilding and I still do it. I call it, you know, sharpening the saw, like mm-hmm. it's maybe once a month now, but like you got to go back and do that. And it's, it's important to kind of learn those lessons. I learned them the hard way, but people can also learn those just, you know, if you're at work, simple example, and I I still do this. Somebody says something to me that is the way that I interpret it is it's a negative comment, whether it's a passive aggressive comment, whatever it happens to be. And if I can remember at the time, I just go, Hey, stand by one second. Um, These are the words that I heard. And this is how I processed it. Not you said this, right? Because you use the word you and now people are just all this fight, right? So I'm like, Hey, I heard it this way. This is how I processed it. Was that your intent? Mm -hmm. And if it was go, yo dog, I didn't like that. (laughs) Right. And you're being a jerk. Yep. And now I get into the, you I'm like, and yo dog, if you're treating other people like that, I used to do that. And that ain't a good way to treat people. No. Or they said something I 90% of the time it's completely not meant that way. And I processed it wrong. And then I go, Oh dude, sorry. Yeah. That was, that was my bad. Mm-hmm. my fault. Forgive me if you can. Let's move on. Right. Mm-hmm. And boom, right there, you fixed it. And if you forget to do that and you want to learn it, like I had to over time, you go sit back down at your computer, you go work out and you're working out and you're just like, guy, I feel so mad right now. Yeah. Then take the time and go, why do I feel mad? Mm-hmm. And then as you go, oh, I saw my subconscious mind, a weird one is the, the subconscious ones where you don't know. You saw a car and maybe it was like a bad girlfriend or boyfriend growing up or I don't know. And boom, now you're just like, why am I? I just want to like kill a kitten or something, right? You're just, it's bad. <laughs> I somebody, I wanted you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you examine that, right? And then that's those little, you know, um, one of the fighter pilots, he wrote a chapter on uh, learn the, it's the fighter pilot art of a debrief. So doing little mini debriefs throughout the day, fighter pilots are very good at debriefing aviation um, related events and stuff like that. And we have a very process, but he basically said in his chapter was like how to do these mini debriefs throughout the day and just go, why? And just, you're just asking yourself why, wait, why do do I feel that way? Like why, when he said that, did that like really torque me off? And if you hold on to that, if you stick it in your trash can, if you compartmentalize it and you don't deal with it, it just adds up. And at some point you got to take the trash out and people do that a different way. People take that out different ways, but I can tell you the way that I process it is I'm a spicy Irishman and (laughs) things manifest as explosions, which is why Ireland, (laughs) the Irish were always fighting because we compartmentalize everything into a trash can and then it blows up and now there's a war. And you rip everything apart and then you start over again, right? This, this, this terrible, um, you know, process that we just keep reliving over and over and over. That we so know isn't st- working, right? That we know it's not working, yeah. but we still do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, there's so many things I can relate to. And I'm laughing because it's just, I'm a spicy uh, redhead, Scottish, <laughs> Belgium. Like, I don't, there'd be sometimes I watch and I, and I hear it come out of my mouth and I'm like, wow, where's that coming from? Like, yeah. like I didn't actually think I was even that angry. And it just yeah. comes out. Yeah, bit of a fire personality, that's for sure. Um, oh my gosh, there's just so much that you're sharing. And I like, I wish I could spend a whole day with you because I know we could put tons of content out there. But this is so good. And I think that because you went through, like you're painting the picture, you're sharing this part of your story, you did the work that is required. And I can always tell when somebody has done any kind of counseling support. I mean, I, I for years, I had to do so much for years. And it it's you learn to communicate from a sense of exactly as you said. What I hear you say is not you said, right? Yeah. That's a big piece of it. And that's a big piece of ownership is this is what I'm hearing. I can't tell you how many times we've had this conversation and my husband's like, I didn't say that at all. And I'm yeah. like, well, that's what I hear. And he'll do the same. <laughs> and it's it's so funny because it's like, I didn't even mean that. Or you know what? I'm not really proud of how I'm showing up right now because I'm showing up with an intensity that... I feel like I'm ripping your head off and you didn't do anything. So it's yeah. recognizing those emotions and the patterns that we have in our own life and how they're not serving us. Yep. I also learned something about myself too, is that um, it really, really bugs me if my wife asks me, are you okay? Because mm -hmm. when so the way that I process that is you are crazy right now. Are Why are you being so crazy? And having gone through that, having lived that experience, that you know, you, you bottle all that stuff up in your inner physiology and it just lives inside of you in your subconscious mind. It lives in your gut in your muscles and everything. Right. And it manifests throughout your day because you're just this, you're, um, you're just like this reef. You might be good to look at, but you would never touch it. Right. Cause it's just, it's just spicy and people just stay away from you. Right. And yes, you may end up being successful, but that's not a way to live right? It's, it's, no. it's so heavy. And that's what it is, is that if I'm, if I'm mountain biking, you know, at about the halfway mark, right? I have a place that's sacred to me, nothing out there. I just look out at the city, look at the mountains, you know, kind of take a rest on a rock. And if I feel heavy, there's something going on, mm. whether that's, I haven't forgiven somebody I'm holding on to something and it's okay for that. As long as you know what it is, as long as you kind of, I think, define it. And yeah. go, hey, you know, things are heavy, but that's okay right now. Or things are heavy, why? And if you don't know why and you can't define it, that's where things, I think, kind of take a different path for me. And it starts to manifest in, in my day-to-day -day interactions with people. And then it's like, then you have an exploding trash can again. <laughs> I can't. This trash can is the best analogy I've ever heard. Yeah. I literally, and I just getting a bigger dumpster and a bigger dumpster, like, <laughs> I could visualize yeah. how big my dumpster was years ago. Yeah. It was it was the size of my house. It was yeah. so big. Wow. So you have taken like thinking of all of because you're sharing so wonderfully. And I've said it on the show many times. I think it's so powerful that we share our stories. I think it is way more powerful to have more men sharing stories, to be completely honest, because huh. it's not something that is still happening. Mm. Like, like women will tend to share their experiences yeah. and things and men don't always I, it's improved it's changed a lot but i do think it takes like people like yourself sharing in the way that you are because you're just giving more and more permission for others and so now you have i mean there's a lot of things you're doing but you have published two books with a compilation of stories from other fighter pilots is that correct yep yep so single seat wisdom volume one has mm -hmm. 20 short fighter pilot stories and and a lot of our stuff is very short punchy story driven yeah. anecdotal you can sit down and in 10 minutes you've read a whole chapter yeah. right and then the next chapter is written by a different fighter pilot mm -hmm. that has a completely different perspective on life and at the end they share their wisdom so that as you're done reading if you're an action-oriented person not only will you enjoy the stories so even if you're not action-oriented so it has something for everybody. It's a story. So if you just want to zone out and just sit in your favorite chair and drink your favorite beverage, you can just rip through a story and in 10 minutes it's over. Mm -hmm. And if you're action oriented, there's wisdom, the lesson learned at the end of the chapter. If you're not action oriented, you just go, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and then you move on. 
but each book has a 20 different chapters written by 20 different fighter pilots. And we, you know, have published volume two now. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it started out as a hobby, but then we raised $30,000 in the first year for this children's cancer nonprofit. And I had business owners, entrepreneurs, airline pilots, fighter pilots, like all sorts of different people. I mean, I had my friend who's a cop, he went to get his doctor checkup and his doctor had a copy of the book. So, I mean, the book just kind of went out into the world. And like I said, it was the worst hobby I ever started. But at that point, I was like, hey, there's some and I had people telling me there's something more to this than just the charity aspect of it. This isn't a charity case. It's like this stuff is good. And then I asked a bunch of other fighter pilots. And in five weeks, I had 20 more authors. And, you know, we published those stories. And now I have in business what I like. There's a process now. I, you know, you have the web page and you have all of the, the stuff that is very tedious when you start because everything in the first year is always tedious. Is. We now have a process. I have a team, design team, the books design, like, and now it's just a matter of getting onboarding people that want to do this, vetting their story, editing them, and then just packaging it all together and blasting it back out again. Right. It's, mm-hmm. and the, the piece that to kind of sum up what I had talked about earlier about success being inward about me. I realized that once you've defined success, if you don't have, if you haven't defined that next level up, which is significance or meaning, or, you know, people are, Viktor Frankl talked about man's search for meaning. So man is always, even if you don't know it consciously, you're searching for some other meaning. You want to mean something, you want people to care, your life means something. If your why behind your success doesn't have some significance beyond it, you'll go through these midlife crisis crashes. And yeah. so for me, I had, you know, we have, I still kept the real estate business because it's it's fulfilling for other reasons, but it's not, it, granted business is about money, but it can't be, you can't start with money, right? It's gotta have a bigger why. And so my my thing was, I'm like, you know, in one generation, my kids can fight over my real estate when I'm gone and just blow it all. And I'm like, if I write all these books, my kids can't travel around the world and pull these books off of bookshelves. They'll never be able to do it. So the significance is way deeper. It's lasting. It's kind of timeless because they can't unpublish the books that I'm doing, but they can sell my real estate, fight over the money and become Irish spicy people that aren't being good people. Right. (laughs) So I think that was the biggest lesson behind why, you know, single seat mindset is that company is a lot of work, especially being that like the money goes back out, it comes in, goes out. Um, but the significance behind it is giving back. Right. And it's not completely altruistic. Marsha, anybody that tells you, Oh, I'm just doing this because it, no, it's, it's BS. I get a ton of gratification. Me, the feeling behind that is incredible. So that's, that's what's powering my engine is that there's some significance feeling behind this story. And, you know, this second volume, you know, of single seat wisdom, I didn't write a chapter in it. These are these other fighter pilot stories. It's just my platform that they can use where they don't have to deal with all the nitty gritty of publishing a book because it's a lot of work. So it's like, you send me a word document, I'll ask you for all of these little pieces and parts, I'll design everything and package it neatly and send you one. (laughs) Like, so I took all of the unfun things of writing a book out of it. And then now there's a platform for these fighter pilots to share their stories and give back. Because when you retire, are you just going to fade away into the distance or are you going to have something to show for it here? Oh, there's so much, again, so many things. The, the piece of, I was going to ask you and you already answered it, is this piece of what does it mean to you to share your story and build this platform out? Because I couldn't agree more. Like I've written one solo onto my second solo book, but we have published two different collaborative books, as well as five other different ones that we've done. And there's something about leaving your story. It's like, you're leaving your story to the earth, to the next generation. There's, there's, if you've never done it, you might be not understanding what we're saying. This is an incredibly powerful (laughs) feeling. I don't know how else to describe it because it's not something that um, it certainly costs money to do. It's, you know, there's other things to it. Um, I'm sure there's other, like as somebody have, I've had people say to me, like, couldn't you do things more profitable or do other things? I'm like, I can't explain to you the meaning behind helping these people share their stories. It 
it is just something I wish was available when I was younger and it wasn't. And there's something so fulfilling to it that I know it will live on long past me. And that is a piece of it. So you answered it. I can hear it in your voice and your message, how important that is and really how much you have helped so many other people become published. Yes. Because doing a solo book is a massive commitment. Yeah. It's, it's a massive commitment. This allows them to share in a very easy way for them. Yep. And you, you said it, it's meaning it's It's meaning, uh, Jordan Peterson, right? He's out there. Jordan Peterson was talking to Bishop Barron, um, one of the bishops here in, in, um, Phoenix, and they were, you know, philosophically talking about stuff and they, and he asked Bishop Barron, like, what is meaning? And he said, meaning is essentially a, a purpose fit, a purposive purpose, right? I can't say that word right now, but it's a purposive relationship to value. Mm. And I think the important piece to that is that whether it's epistemic, meaning like philosophical or mathematical, whether it's like a moral truth or aesthetic beauty, there's value behind that. So in a book, you have the beauty of a book, the cover, the smell, you know, it's, um, it's mathematical to put a book together. Um, in there, there are moral truths. So in a book, you can kind of create a lot of meaning for your own life as an author, which is why a lot of people search that out and they try so hard to become an author because it has all of these very deep, meaningful things in life. And then when you hand it to somebody else, boom, more meaning. You make money from it, boom, more meaning. You start a business. Like, so there's just this, you know, um, you know, Christianity, even they talk about, you know, goodness, truth, beauty, all of these these meaningful things that are opposite of like this postmodern suspicion and scientism and all of this stuff that tries to factually define everything. And it's like, no, try put, put my feelings under a machine. You can't do it. Put my, put my inner thoughts, my inner psyche under a machine. You can kind of with artificial intelligence, but at some point you're not going to be able to define that anymore. So I mean, I think the meaning piece of that, that people are looking for that you're talking about that you can feel it's all there and it's packed and you hold the first time you hold your book in your hand, it's just, I've done it five times now. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever. (laughs) It's it's so funny because from one author to another, I can say there are always moments during the process where I'm like, I am never doing this again. This is so much fun. And it finishes and I get the book and I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to do the next one. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And when a, when a parent holds their baby the first time, think about the meaning behind that, right? Just the, the beauty alone. And you're just like, oh my gosh, it's a little human. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> and then the work starts. Um, yeah. <laughs> I say that out of love. I say it out of love. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is just, honestly, this is an absolutely incredible conversation. I want to make sure everyone knows where to find you and connect with you. And as well as we talked a little bit about the book and access to it. Yep. So single seat mindset. So single as in one. So with an S and then seat. So as in like a single seat fighter pilot, single seat mindset.com. We'll call that our launch pad. Um, you can access the books we have now. We're building it out. It's slowly growing, but it's called the insider circle. And you can access the competent wingman program um, and the other things that we have that are that are completely free. So if you don't even want to spend money on the book, um, try some of that stuff out. Um, you can contact me there for your podcast listeners, um, specifically in the United States. I'll just caveat that with that. They can go to singleseatmindset.com forward slash podcast gift podcast gift. It's all lowercase. The first three people. Um, I will send them completely no strings attached, a free copy of single seat wisdom, volume one. If you're in Canada or elsewhere in the world, still reach out to me and I'll figure out how to get you, um, a copy of the book, uh, Mm. one way or another. The reason I just caveat that is I had somebody in Malaysia ask, and I think it was $86 just for shipping. So, um, Mm -hmm. as long as if you're in a war tattered country and you need to be Maybe it needs to go in via courier pigeon. That may not be a viable option, but singleseatmindset.com. That's our launch pad. Uh, everything's there. And uh, yeah, just it's super, super cool. A lot of meaning there. There's so much meaning there. When you say the insider circle, just to clarify, is that only for like, is the, I, I think I know the answer, but the tools and the things that you're offering and teaching, they're not just for fighter pilots. Can Correct. We- 
In fact, single seat mindset is like we had talked about it is a mindset. It's a learned mindset and anybody can learn these, these, uh, they're not tricks. They're learnable behaviors that you can leverage into your own life and, and use them. I mean, I, like I said, I wish there were some of the things that I've learned as a fighter pilot that would have worked very well, uh, like as a baseball player growing up, you know, um, and, and you can, you can keep learning. And that's, that's a big push is that it is aviation. There's an aviation background, right? Those are all of the people, the 45 fighter pilots we have now we're growing at about 20 a year. You can access just the way that they think, right? Because it is unique. It's a little bit different than, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a bank teller, you know, a typical day, like, Hey, here's your money. You know, it's a little bit different than that, but yeah. um, you can learn that stuff. Wow. And I think this ties into, it's so funny because even before we started recording, I'm like, okay, these are the kinds of things I like to ask you. We didn't even go there, which is awesome because you covered so many incredible things. <laughs> I loved it. But I it, I do want to tie that, as you just said, in your experience of what you, of, of being a fighter pilot is learning to think fast. Like one of the things as humans that we do, and I think this is very safe to say, to paint the brush and say that like most of us spend so much time in indecision and overthinking. Yep. Yeah. Does that resonate? Is that Absolutely. I would say the two things out of our entire talk today is if your story doesn't have depth to it that goes beyond what, when you go, I'm successful and boom, it stops, you're, you're going to have some, a problem there. So make sure that your why behind what you're doing is not necessarily timeless, but it needs to continue on. So there needs to be another story to follow it. But then the thing that I think that you're hinting at, you can read as many self-help books as you want. If you don't take, there's one word, action. If you don't take action, that's how we as humans learn. You can go to college, but that's why college kids are so dumb nowadays when they come out. They've never put any of it into action. They don't know how to practically and efficiently apply all of this knowledge, this information age that we live in. Mm -hmm. So stop fearing failure, get out there and fail Mm -hmm. and learn. That's how we learn through action. So Mm -hmm. make sure your story like has some distance to it and, and, or you have another story to follow it and then get out there and take action because action is what inspires stories. It gives you new ideas. It helps you put more things into action. And that is where meaning lives. It's exactly (laughs) where it lives. I'm just like, I'm absolutely loving it. It's exactly where it lives. Um, I can, there's no question I could talk to you for a very long time and we might have you back because I think this is an incredible conversation that needs to be shared. Um, before I go to the last question and I'm, I'm, you can laugh at me if I'm going to ask this question, but I know there's going to be listeners that are going to want, that are going to say, why didn't you ask this top gun Yeah. (laughs) when they're, when they're doing, when there is, is that a realistic depiction for what some of you would have experienced? Yes. Yeah. They've, um, I would say from the first movie to fast forward 30 years to the second one that just came out, the cinematography is obviously 30 years advanced. Absolutely. Um, So phenomenal cinematography. Um, you can have whatever personal issues you have with, with Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise actually flies, uh, he has a fighter, his own fighter jet. So he actually flies a fighter jet. Um, and so a lot of the stuff now, when you're under a ton of G forces, you don't drop your mask and do that kind of stuff. So there, I mean, there's some Hollywood behind yes. it, but as you're watching, you want to know, like if somebody has a mask on, sometimes they don't know who the character is. So they drop their mask. So, you know, oh, that's ice or that's, yeah. you know, so you kind of know, but, um, you know, aside from all of the other, like naysayers and everything, I, I thought the movies were very entertaining. They are cheesy a little bit. Of course um, they're cheesy, but they're but entertaining the, and cheesy, but yeah. Yes. But as they're sitting there and they're like, oh, you got a bogey at your six and they're, you know, doing their break turn and they're, they're breathing heavily and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Those are a lot of that is, uh, you know, very similar, obviously until you put that into action, experience that, you know, as a person, you wouldn't know what it's like, but you can at least get some, some semblance of the idea. Yeah. No, I just, especially as you were talking earlier about the G lock and everything that you went through, I just was curious because I I was amazed at yes cinematography but imagining like trying to navigate in the way that you could watch it in the movie and knowing that there are people that do that in real life. Yeah. 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 And somebody somebody said this there's I I didn't say this I don't remember who it was but they're like what do you think about 
Top Gun. And it's like, well, I get to actually do what they're trying to act to do. And it was a little bit I like that. I will say a little bit arrogant the way it was voiced and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. it is true. It's kind of like I watched that movie. I'm like, that's pretty cool. And then you're like, oh, I actually just do that. <laughs> I do that. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that answer. I love it. I yeah. loved it. Um, I'll make sure everything to connect with you is in the show notes. Absolutely love this conversation. I have one more question for you. Okay. And it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Oh man, most, I think for me was I had a, a spiritual reversion to uh, Christianity about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the important piece of that is mind, body, spirit. Um, those three aspects of our life are, you know, the mind, we go to college and we read books and we try to take care of our mind and mindset, single seat mindset, body, we go to the gym, we bike, we want to take care of ourselves, but the spiritual aspect of it that me as a man, I'm not going to speak for all the other men, but, or women, um, the spiritual aspect of life is very, it's very non-tangible, but it's very real. And Mm -hmm. once you, um, once I tapped into that, um, it just, it provides that timeless meaning because Mm -hmm. a lot of those lessons, right? Like they're still, I mean, I don't know, Jesus was 2000 plus years old now, right? Like, and a lot of the stuff that he said was like some pretty good life lessons. And it has a lot of meaning. A lot of people follow that. And I'm not saying that you have to be X, Y, or Z, but I'm just saying the spiritual aspect of life, that is what I am most grateful for because holy smokes every day, it just makes, it makes you define, it makes you find the why behind what you're doing a lot faster when, because it's outside of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And anytime that I'm feeling frustrated or or down, it's usually because I'm looking inward and that happens, but mm-hmm. the spiritual aspect of life is it's very, very real, <laughs> very That's real. Beautiful. Well, it's beautiful. No, thank you for that. Because I do think the more we can think outside of ourselves, the more we will actually like the reason we stop getting into action half the time is because we're thinking about ourselves mm-hmm. and what is that going to look like for others, but yeah. we can actually make it about others. I find that becomes a really big shift. Yep. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for this conversation. I've absolutely loved it. Me too. Thanks, Marsha. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.